0: Hi, Pompey fans, and what's your forecast episode 137? Well, 2022 has officially started as Pompey pick up the first win of
1: 2022. During the podcast today is Freddie Webb. How are you, Freddie? I'm not so bad, Hugh. Yeah, it was nice to see you on Tuesday. Pompey's first league win of 2022. We should be buzzing, but the ground wasn't. But we'll, uh, we'll talk about that later on. But yeah. A lot of new news in the Pompey world, which we'll go through. And we got a great interview coming up as well. So a lot for the listeners to look forward to.
0: Yeah. When we um I actually managed to get down from work a little bit earlier. So we actually managed to go for a pint first. That was quite nice. We don't usually get to do that at the brewery on a on a
1: Tuesday night. Oh, and as usual, Hugh caught me in a photo of me having a pint, which is literally every single photo he has of me, pretty much.
0: I've got pretty much a whole photo album of Freddie drinking and it, this one actually was not intentional I just did a little pano of where we were mate and you happened to be caught at the end necking a pint it looks like when actually you just necking's a it. strong
1: word <laughs> sipping a pint probably, <laughs> and no tequila before the game so it shows that that had no bearing on that whatsoever so I don't have to do it anymore
0: yeah, I've, I've, we we put this out actually to the to the Pompey News Now crew, and it's been voted that we're changing the shot from tequila now to Jaeger uh, straight. So, how do you feel about that?
1: Oh, fine, I can do that. That's not, that's not an issue. Uh, it's just that tequila's grim and I hate it. All right, we'll try the we'll try the lucky
0: Jaeger shot and see if that works. But all right, let's get into what we're talking about today. So, Andy today is unfortunately off sick. We're doing a little crew. One person off, one person on. So me and Freddie have got the reins today. But first of all, we're going to review the game against Oxford. Following on from that, we're going to talk about the massive, I suppose, huge win we've got against Burton. And then we spoke and we put a question out to you guys. And we said, is the Burton win a turning point or did it paper over the squad depth cracks? And then we spoke to Adam from the Into the Empty Net, Doncaster site, who gave us the lowdown on everything you need to know about the game against Doncaster on Saturday. Right, Freddie. Lots to talk about. Lots to digest. It's been a difficult start to the year, to put it quite frankly. But after last week, it's nice to see there are some positives coming through. But let's kick off with that Oxford game because, yeah, we lost the game. But the performance was really improved, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, there, are, there, there were actual signs that the side could be turning the corner, even though it was a defeat. Um Considering Pompey were down to 10 in for 80 minutes of that game. They played incredibly well. The heart was there. They were strong in their tackle and they were able to score two goals from fairly decent counter-attacks against a side at the top of the table. The advanced stats don't look at Pompey's performances too kindly, or but on the other hand, Pompey really only didn't get her, any points out of that game because of two screamers. So that was incredibly grim and a poor refereeing performance. So we'll, we'll details those later. But yeah, the Joe Morel red card. We'll go to that first, even though there were two goals before it. Up there with one of the worst decisions I've ever seen. Uh, what do you think about it?
0: Yeah, I think it's an absolute shocker. I think mean, Joe's not the tallest lad, is he? Let's be honest. The bloke's
1: five foot five.
0: Branigan basically puts his head, in my opinion, into that position down there. And if you can't raise your foot at all, off the floor it's going to be very difficult it for me is there's no intention there either and without going to semantics of it too much for me if you want to give him a yellow for it i suppose you can yeah i don't want to get into the semantics of it too much fred but from my perspective you know it, you could give a yellow if you really wanted to if you caught him but for me yeah it's not a booking and it's certainly not a red card
1: no no well i, I wouldn't <clears throat> conflate that to dangerous play at all um I'm sorry Samuel Barrett had a the referee had an awful game. It was 11 yellow cards and then later on 11, 11 yellow cards one red. George Hurst also received a yellow from literally a similar foul where it was um basically a 50-50 aerial duel where he caught a player in the head and he only got booked even though Morrell high booted an in inverted commas, somebody in the head and got sent off. It was a po- it was a poor performance all round from him and Yeah, Cowley said in multiple interviews that the refereeing at this level has been poor and I do agree with him. As much stick as they get and it's unfortunate that they get a lot of stick. Some of it unjust, some of it horrible. But I'm sorry, if you're making consistent mistakes in any line of work, you're going to get criticism. It's just how it is.
0: Let's move on to the the rest of the game quickly. It didn't start the brightest. Obviously, Oxford got that corner which they ended up putting the box right where you want it to be i think it was hayden carter who potentially lost his lost his man there on the track and was having a look at it's one of those goals is a good good header gets a good, good connection we go one nil down Freddie at that point though and maybe I'm just being a bit cynical after recent performances but did you think it was going to be a long day at the office there and it would potentially more than one goal was going to come?
1: Oh absolutely yeah it was Paul defending nobody trapped Luke McNally for the first goal and nothing out of Pompey's previous performances made me think, oh, they're going to they're dig in a bit. Especially since Oxford have been playing really well recently as well. They're a top they're a top side that's at least looking for the playoffs and they play a fairly attractive possession-based brand of football as well. So it was going to cause a lot of problems, but Pompey, instead of just their heads dropping after the first goal, kept with it and played really well. Um, Jacobs' goal was... A lovely piece of play, through ball down the wing, running Curtis right up to the goal line, heels it to Kieran Freeman, who then controls it beautifully, squares it to Jacobs, and it's one all, and it looks like a completely even game. Yeah, and
0: we'll come on and talk about the strikers later on. But I did think that Hurst won that header that actually went to to Curtis in the build up to that goal as well, which sort of is what we need if you're going to do those flick ons into space there needs to be a runner there with the balls coming through to. And that, that actually did happen for this. So it, was, it was a good all-round team goal. And then I think, okay, all right, we've got a bit of momentum. Obviously, we spoke about the Reds go down, but you think it's going to be back against the wall. And then suddenly, Pompey get a counter-attack break, ball comes through. Again, I think, yeah, Hurst holds the ball up a little bit, lays it off to Jacobs, who then slides that killer ball through, that key pass that is what's needed goes through for the assist and Ronan Curtis finishes it pretty calmly and then celebrates like an absolute madman in front of the Pompey fans. Uh,
1: Love it. Obviously, I love the passion always with Ronan Curtis. Um, It was a beautiful finish with his side foot. Took it very calmly. He's been snatching a lot of his shots beforehand so it was nice to see him just be calm, composed, side footed with his left foot into the corner. And Pompey were valuable with their 2-1 lead. Um, Oxford had a lot of chances, and I'll give you the XG now. The XG for the game: Pompey 1.12, Oxford 3.65. Most of it after uh, they went uh, after Pompey went two-one up. Obviously, as the tired legs kicked in, down to ten men. That's bound to happen. They had a lot of chances, but it just took two absolute screamers from Cameron Brannigan and Nathan Holland to uh, for them to actually get the points out of the game.
0: Yeah, and it's quite annoying to obviously highlight Brannigan before the game as a player who can control the tempo, get stuck in, get a player sent off and also get a goal. Brannigan also had a chance where he went through on goal and Bizzoui came up really big. I think he was...
1: He it was, was a one-on-one, wasn't it? The yeah, for through yeah.
0: one-on-one. I suppose those sort of chances probably added towards the XG as well. And then later on when Pompey are 2 on up as well, Bizzouna made a couple of saves there as well to keep Pompey ahead. And you thought maybe at that time before the 10 minutes came, Freddie, that we maybe were going to hold on for... For a point, really. I don't know where they got 10 minutes stoppage time from. Slightly going on in a tandem here.
1: 10 minutes? Do you reckon that was valid? Well, I know there were a lot of yellow cards and substitutes, and there was that kerfuffle at half-time. Uh, but, yeah, I thought 10 minutes was a bit long. Yeah, depressing result. Gutting that Pompey didn't get a point out of that game, I would have taken two all, all day long with 10 men, easily. But there was enough there, and the performance that made me think, OK, the shape I thought was good. The substitutions were OK. He kept the game. The game plan from Pompey was rock solid, so I didn't have any doubts about that, didn't have any doubts about the player commitment, it was just a bit of quality, and if you look at the advanced stats, Oxford had enough chances to win the game anyway, and it was just a shame that two of them were 25 yards, I mean, what, what can you actually do about that, really? Not a lot.
0: No, not a lot at all, and I think we had three shots, two goals, so hey, at least we took our chances, right?
1: I know, for, for, for once, yeah. There, there was obviously that kerfuffle at half time. Jordan Cross reported an uh, Oxford United staff member needed hospital treatments because he fa- fell and banged his head. There was a volunteer kit man called Roger. Um, apparently he's recovering well, so best wishes to him, and I'm glad to hear that. And apparently Thames Valley police are investigating the matter. Danny Cowley was quoted that that was happening. And Cowley hasn't spoken to the FA about what happened and also two, two days ago, Neil Allen reported the FA are investigating that incident as well, because there are a lot of rumours about what happened. Um, obviously delayed the game as well for a long time, so it must have been something horrible. But yeah, uh, two investigations. We'll just have to wait and see what comes up with it. But I'm just glad that the uh, staff member was all right in the end.
0: Yeah, glad he's all right. I know some people said about a Pompey fan jogging down the tunnel at halftime. I don't know if that's anything to do with what happened, but I suppose any time we'll see. And hopefully, yeah, he's all right. That's the main thing. And we'll see if anything comes of it. But let's move on to the next game, Freddie. Unless you want to anything else to say on Oxford? Nope, shaking his head. Fair enough. Let's move on. Let's move on to the game where we collected all three points. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Because the atmosphere is pretty dead, I'll be honest. Freddie was sat next to me in the back of the front end with a season ticket there. And it was literally one of those situations where... It felt a bit dead, didn't it? And it doesn't always help when the away fans don't bring many fans down as well, I suppose. There's no Pompey fans in the Milton end either. Fair play to the Burton fans. He did travel down on a Tuesday because it's a long way to come on a Tuesday night when you've got work the next day. So it's definitely nothing against them for that. Probably started out quite brightly, I thought, in the game. Generally, Burton didn't look like they had a foothold in the game, I didn't think. You know, up front, had they looked pretty isolated, I thought, up front for for Burton. And they really sort of Sat fairly deep, really, didn't they, for a team who, I was a bit concerned, could actually apply some pressure for us in centre midfield.
1: Yeah, they, they seemed to apply a similar um, tactic to what they did at the, near the end of last season when they got a result against Pompey where they, where they sat deep and tried to hit Pompey on the break very well. Um, it helped that Pompey were playing slightly more defensively. Obviously, the key thing was that it, we learned an hour before the game that Morel's red card was not rescinded because the Football League protect referees who make stupid decisions. So he still got a free game ban. Jacobs Jacobs filled in in midfield where he basically had a free-flowing role to do whatever he liked, which ended up working considering the result. But also special mention to his um, midfield partner, Louis Thompson, who I thought had an excellent game. Started, played 70 minutes, did everything a gritty technical midfielder should do, won the ball back consistently enough, offered an out ball for the defenders, playing out from the back, was able to make key short passes in the middle and basically give Jacobs a lot of space to do whatever he likes, which was, which is very encouraging. On the red card, I saw a tweet from Andy Moon where he reported that apparently one of the reasons why Morel's red card was, was not rescinded was because his leg was straight, which basically meant that they thought it was intentional because of that read into that what you will. Uh, that's not Andy Moon's like opinion. That's what the uh, FA gave. But yeah, before, before the game, we thought, oh, we're playing one proper centre midfielder. Um, one of our best players out. It's going to look like it's not going to go very well. And the atmosphere was bad. Again, at Fratton Park, it's been bad for like, the last couple of games I've been to. Some people say it's bad all season. And I think the reason why is just People think, you know, people assume the worst at every game at the moment. I mean, even, we'll go into it in more detail in a minute, but when Burton brought it back to 2 1, people thought, oh God, here we go again, even though Pompey looked not comfortable, that's too strong of a word, but it seemed, they seemed to be in control at 2 0. Burton didn't offer a lot. The atmosphere was flat, the chance didn't work out. People were upset with uh, Westwood having 15 pints during it before the game instead of 14 with his, with his murmuring. <laughs> but it was, it, it was so flat and completely the opposite to the away games I've been to where the atmosphere is bouncing a lot of the time, even when, even when the performances haven't been great. Hugh, what do you think the reason is behind the Fratton Park atmosphere being, well, just not just not very good just very woeful in some circumstances
0: it's quite difficult to difficult to pinpoint one reason i suppose it's a bit of a disconnect at the moment between what the fans think we should be doing on the pitch a little bit the club ownership whatever you th- i don't, I don't even know how to answer this question it's a bit of a weird one do you have a, do you actually have a straight answer for it
1: uh, well like i said so some people think it, it probably assuming the worst whenever there's a game and obviously, a, a lot of fans look at this Portsmouth versus Burton result and think, "Well, yeah, we should be beating Burton at home. No, no question about it." So if they do something well, they think, "Oh, good, yeah, you need to do it. The team needs to do it five more times." But whenever something bad happens, it's the world or the world is ending. It's a bit of that bit of disconnect that from uh, the Unship because they assume that they're not putting enough money in the squad, which I think. A lot of it, I think that's the case compared to some of the other teams vying for promotion in the division. That's one major factor. Some upset about whether the investment in the infrastructure is enough as well. Again, and it's just the general inertia of being in League One. I think that's another thing. It's drawing on people. I think it will take for the atmosphere to pick up again at Fratton Park, it I think it will at least take five or six stellar performances on the bounce to be able to warm the fans back again, which will, I think will take a long time, which is unfortunate. Uh, we'll have to put that question out to the listeners, see what they think, actually.
0: Yeah, they've probably got a better, get, get better grasp on it than I did anyway, firing the question straight back to you, Freddie. But talking about stellar performances, Michael Jacobs had an absolutely great performance in this game. I thought it was interesting that he possession wise had five point eight percent of all possession in the game, ranking second. Um, the only Pompey player in the top five, more touches on the ball than any other Pompey player as well. Playing in the centre mid, you could say that happens to centre midfielders, but you know more touches than anyone, including Louis this Thompson. Is up.
1: This is all up to stuff, isn't it?
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, he took all nine corners, which I had listed as well.
1: And the delivery so, was superb on most of them.
0: And that's been so lacking, isn't it? And let's talk about the goal. Let's get into the fun stuff because Sean Ragger gets a goal from a corner, which is something that we were sort of akin to, sort of used to a little bit more last season. And it hasn't really worked out due to, I don't know, the delivery, the runs, whatever you want to say. But we got a goal from a corner. Set us off, Freddie. What can you say? Is that about Jacob's delivery? Just, just the
1: whole uh, thing? Both, both. Yeah, um, yeah. No, uh, Outswing corner hadn't a fighter uh, on it went, went over the went over to uh, Burton defenders racket made the space bu- bullied bullied the player that was marking him got his head on it fairly well finished with a plom right in the corner and, and it was it, yeah it, it was perfect um, from delivery to the finish as well because a lot of headers were going over the bar as well so it was good for racket to so actually it wasn't a free header He had to go above his centre-half. He had to go above the defender that was marking him, so it was an excellent goal all round. I saw this stat from Johnny Coleman, though, on Michael Jacobs. He's played 163 minutes recently. Three goals to assist. (laughs) That is... is, He's the best player on form, and uh, uh, I'm trying not to be upset when he goes in the summer for nothing, but... um, We'll cross that bridge when we get to it, shall we?
0: You sceptical man, Freddie. That beard is making the longer it gets, the more sceptical you get. Is that true? Is that a fair correlation?
1: Can we? No, that's just that? me, no. That's just me being lazy and not shaving it.
0: All right, fair enough. We'll take that. Going on to looking at this game as well, I noticed that Hurst won more headers of nine in total in this game. again, called Opta, but where are they going? These headers. I want, just as a, this is a semantics, like small point, I suppose. But we discussed it during the game, didn't we? I don't quite understand what our strategy is, is to sort of flick it on to, to nobody. When, when we spoke about the Oxford game, Hurst wins a header and he's flicked it on to Curtis, who then obviously plays it in and it creates the goal for, for Jacobs via Freeman. I don't quite understand what we're doing flicking it on to nobody at this moment. I think the main
1: problem was in this game, I think Cowley, it seemed quite obvious to me that Cowley asked the win backs to play a tiny bit more conservative considering the, Jacobs was playing in centre midfield. And was worried that there'd be a gap in the midfield, so the wingbacks were playing a bit deeper. Normally, they'd be running; it they'd also be running into that space where Hurst was heading it on. I do think Pompey do that way too much, where it's the direct goal kick from Bazunu into Hurst or Curtis, that who then flicks it on. If there's no runners, runners into the space, you're basically giving up possession for nothing, which is weird. And they did give Burton back possession a lot of the time, but when there are runners, it can create some spaces. I just don't, I just don't think Pompey should over rely on that. That might be because Pompey had been stung playing out from the back a few times and that's created some counter-attacks for the opposition. So they're relying on that a bit, little bit. It's a semantic which I think should be part of the game plan for Pompey going forward, but not, not a main crux for me. We've
0: already said it's a dynamo performance. Man of the match performance from centre midfield, playing out of position. Freddie, talk us through the goal from Michael
1: Jacobs. Yeah, he he wins the ball. I think he wins the ball high up. I don't think it was a through ball. Pressure, pressure. The centre half was able to get the ball out of his feet and then just a calm, simple finish into the corner. Lots of composure for a midfielder, and no doubt about it, he he deserves that goal. And he's easily Pompey's best player at the moment by miles. He, He adds so much quality and is bringing in other players as well into attacking opportunities. Um, that's noticeable by the XG in this game. Pompey had 2.54 XG to Burton's 1.19. So Pompey had a lot of chances for their two goals, namely from Curtis, Hurst and Walker, who all missed a lot of chances in this game. I think all three of them had the best of games, if I, if I might be harsh on that, even though Hurst won all those headers. Curtis was definitely battling, getting into positions, which is great. But it was just just the technical quality at the end that took it away from me. But yeah, it's obvious when Michael Jacobs is playing, he adds so much to Pompey's attacking unit that he has to start in any game. Yeah, I'm not sure how often he's going to play in centre midfield anymore, but... um, We'll see. we'll see if he has to play there uh, on Saturday.
0: Then again, we got these two goals. I agree with you. There were some chances. I know Walker had a chance when he went through as well. one one he shoots the keeper, sort of makes a pretty good safety fare, gets down well. But again, these are those chances that are a bit like, I'll refer quickly back to the Oxford game, when Hurst has that chance and doesn't hit it with enough conviction and the keeper
1: saves it as well. It was the, yeah. header, the header that just plumbed over the bar. That was quite frustrating. It was pretty much a free header. Then Curtis... Managed to break through two defenders, almost have a one-on-one, but then didn't get shot out properly. It it was those things that were very frustrating, really, and it made watching the last few minutes of the game not comfortable when it should have been.
0: Do you think these are the things, though, that could just click in place and suddenly we're scoring hatfuls of goals, or do you think this is just a lack of quality in the final third?
1: Well, considering the fact that Pompey are still underperforming their XG um, this season, and... Are still down there in terms of goals scored compared to other promotion sides. At the moment, I think it's lack of quality. To be honest, I still think Curtis is snatching his chances a bit too much. Might be harsh because in the Oxford game, he took he, he took that goal incredibly well, and we know he can in the right scenarios. But he's getting frustrated with himself, snatching his shots wide. Walker doesn't see. Walker seems a bit off the pace, probably because he's not played enough. And Hurst, I think for me. Even though he does a lot of the a lot of the um, good target man centre forward stuff, right who is his winning headers, play, playing the playing the ball to his uh, partners go uh, partner forwards, and then taking the ball to his feet. Sometimes he just doesn't have to He doesn't have the quality to score goals sometimes, and that's very frustrating. So, I think at the moment, I do think it's a lack of quality up front. But we can't do anything about that. We'll see if it um, regresses to average by the end of the season. But yeah. It's, it's definitely something that other fans on the ground noticed. They, they were frustrated by the lack of um, chances taken in that game.
0: Without turning to the complete nerd no out, I actually did a quick look back to the 1920 season where Pals have also underperformed their XG. In fact, their XG led the league that season. and They underperformed it by four, I think it was. Um, I did have this written down somewhere, but I've missed it. But yeah, Pompey did in 1920. So this is actually something that's been a a recurring issue for Pompey, isn't it? And is that just because we haven't had a really a, a prolific striker, I suppose, since? Well, some people might say Pittman, I suppose, but you know you know what I mean?
1: Some people say Pittman, but <clears throat> but if you think all the way back to that side, when Pittman got, what, 20, nearly 25 goals, league goals, uh, nobody else was scoring in the team. And the team scored less goals overall, so it wasn't even as if, you know, the team was better. It's just, it's easier to point at a team and go, oh my gosh, we have we need a 20-goal, 20 25-goal striker. You know, it's easy to look at it and think that the team was better when it wasn't, which know, yeah, it's a loss of semantics, but it is obvious that the the forward play has cost Pompey games a lot this season with lost chances. And a lot of that is down to, yeah, and it's shown by the gap in XG to goals. Um, it's still quite pronounced when you watch the games as well. It's not just um, a statistical anom- anomaly. rather.
0: I think my big takeaway from this though, Fred, is the fact that we didn't play amazingly. We got some chances, but we came away with a win. And you could see how much that meant to the players that, you know, Danny Cowley at the end, they're all coming over to the frat and end and doing tours. Ronan Curtis looked like he'd, uh, I don't know, one-on-one on, one on one of the accumulators or whatever. He was he was loving life, wasn't he? He was, was rearing the fans up after the game. And do you think this is the kind of thing that we can potentially take this positivity I don't want to say harness it because that's a bit of a pun but just get it all together there and just sort of maybe take that into a run of games which we're going to come and talk about a bit later on which let's be honest they're actually quite winnable aren't they? You,
1: you can't say that pun wasn't intentional surely surely It wasn't intentional <laughs> I was trying to find another word I was trying to find you, another you word in my head you? and I no. through <clears throat> But uh, I'm just going to try and remain positive from that game because if I'm not I'll just get depressed about Pompey to be honest it's a win. It wasn't comfortable. It should have been comfort too. Now, I didn't think Burton played well at all. No wonder Hasselbank was throwing bottles all over the place and getting yellow cards from the referee. Literally, the only main chance I think they had was the Gassimer had me goal. And then after that, they might have had a couple. Bizzouna made one good save, low to his right. But that was in the first half as well. Pompey should have had the game out of sight though. So I think that's that's going to be something that sticks in the supporters' craw where they think, oh, but Burton on a very good side. Pompey, should, a play as a playoff-seeking football club, should be doing better. And yeah, well, well, it's a step to build on. Though I think it's obvious, it's obvious that if Michael Jacobs keeps playing well, and if other players step up as well, um, I think defensively it's still a very strong performance. I got I got no no qualms with the um, the back three and the wing backs at all. I thought Ogilvy and Raggett both had exceptional games defensively. And Louis Thompson played very well in midfield um, as well which was encouraging but when you looked at the bench again you, you'd think you got Tony coming on who hasn't played a lot of football in three and a half months because of the injury it was nice to see him back again though uh, it made me think when Clark Robertson came up the end I thought oh God Portsmouth manager have managed to bring in a defender with a one goal deficit and I was like oh, oh it's not going to go well but it, it did actually thankfully there's still not a lot of options, so in the squad depth, we know that now. Um, it's just all down to the first team players playing well. It, if they if they do, Pompey will be in with a shout out of the playoffs. If they don't, it'll be top off mid table, which is not good enough. Really, we know it isn't.
0: No, absolutely. Well, let's be honest. We've got to win. We're both smiling. It took me three hours to get home, nearly four hours. After That's Tuesday. horrendous.
1: That's almost as bad as last Saturday when it took me five hours to get to my house from East Croydon. Just, I hate that line. I'm never using it ever again.
0: Yeah, well, considering it took us like what five and a half hours plus stoppage to get drive up to Newcastle, it took me nearly that time just to get back up towards the south of London. But is what it is. Anyway, let's get on to what's actually probably more interesting rather than talk about my travel plans because we put a question out to you guys and we said. Is the Burton win a turning point, or did it just paper over the squad depth cracks? Thanks to everyone who messaged in again. Really appreciate it. Uh, we'll try and go through these now, so let's get straight into it. Tim Tim Foot messages in, and he says, What are your thoughts on Marcus Harness' absence during the starting lineup? Also, do we think Hurst's burst of good form was just a flash in the pan? To me, it seems like we're incredibly reliant on Jacobs up top, and don't see much from anyone else. Freddie, let's start with the first point there. Marcus Harness, were you surprised at his admission from the squad?
1: Uh, not particularly. I think in the last few games, he hasn't played that well. He went on that tear just before um, the COVID break where he was pretty much unplayable. All this pa- all this crisp passing was coming off. He was co- he was contributing well in front of goal. Looks as if by the end of the season, he would get a double-double, 10 goals, 10 assists, which is for a midfielder is excellent. But you can't keep playing your good players all the time. It, uh, the last few games where I saw him, his passing was very off for me. He, he took slightly longer to make his decisions than he usually would. A bit like Curtis, really. So I don't mind the fact that he's been dropped. Michael Jacobs basically replaced him. And to go on to the second point, yes, Pompey are over-relying on Michael Jacobs because <laughs> he, dri- he is the main driver of attacking play at the moment. And I don't think Pompey can do a lot about it. It's just... The way things are, and I don't think Hurst has played well. Uh, played well as well as he did in that like two three game stretch, where he scored that goal against Lincoln City, and also um, on television against Sheffield Wednesday, skinned one of their right backs about two or three times. He hasn't been doing that recently. His performances have been okay as a target man striker, but when it comes to actually getting in the quality chances, he doesn't look like he can finish them off. Unfortunately. Yeah, and, that, and that's going to be frustrating because if uh, Tyler Walker doesn't, if he's still off the pace, then what do you have? You're still relying on uh, your midfield to to paper over the cracks a bit, which isn't ideal. Do
0: you think Aidan O'Brien gets a start on Saturday, considering the other strikers aren't exactly firing on all cylinders? No, I don't think time?
1: so. I think Cowley will just go pretty much the same lineup. I think. Um it depends. If it, 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 it's is still not fit, he might have to play Jacobs in centre field again. And then what do you do? Do you do you play... It, uh, did Curtis play ba- badly enough in those two games to be dropped for harness? I don't think so. So then you just... Or you play Curtis and the harness with Walker. and play it like that with two midfielders behind the striker. You play it like a 3-4-3. Three, three. Maybe. Maybe. But I think... He's trying to, I think Cowley wants to build that partnership with Hurston Walker. So he's going to go with that and then play one off Curtis or Harness behind him. And one of them's a very good impact sub anyway. So, yeah, I don't think there'll be major changes. Uh, It's a shame about Kieran Freeman, though, being out for the rest of the season. I think Romeo's now, even though Romeo's been off the pace for the last few games, that's why Kieran Freeman coming in, I thought that was great. But then obviously he got an injury in the Oxford game, which... Neil Allen reported could be season ending. I'm going to have to be Andy for two minutes. Um, Kieran Freeman has apparently ruptured his anterior talofibular ligament in his ankle. And Cowley said Freeman's seeing a specialist. So that basically means he could be out for the season. Maybe a few games at the end, but nothing more than that. Which is even more frustrating. her more injuries to add to the poll
0: Yeah, the squad is getting down to the Harry Redknapp, but actually down to the bare bones, isn't it really?
1: It's not. It's not red that just wanting a few more players. It's literally, we are uh, Pompey is struggling here. Um, two. Uh, how many options How many out and out options at centre field? Three, including Harvey Jewett White. One at right wing back now. Two at left wing back if you count Rico Hackett. Centre half is looking okay-ish. But yeah, the squad. The squad's Fred Bear. I still haven't listened properly to to the colour interview. Actually talking about January. Uh, so I do apologise. I should have done. But I'm sorry, I don't believe him when he says that the budget's gone up, uh, considering what the squad looks like at the moment. We'll only know when the accounts come out, I suppose, next season. Next season's accounts will look back and go, oh, maybe it did. But no, I don't believe it since I see it in paper.
0: Quick point on Marcus Harness. Do you think it's a case as well that he's not signed? We haven't re upped his contract. I'm guessing him and his agent are in discussions about that. Do you think it's a case of just patchy form? Or do you think, I mean, I'm only surmising here, do you think it's a case that with players that get him signed or, you know, maybe his head's turned or...
1: I remember, well, do you remember last season when we were talking about the fact that loads of players are out of contract, and then we noticed after Mark Catlin basically said that player contracts won't be discussed until the end of the season and then we looked at the form just on the raw data and the side dropped off a cliff. Yeah, They went out later on and said, oh, that, that's not the case, the players wanted it, blah, 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 blah. Sometimes the data doesn't lie. <laughs> I mean, you can't ignore it, can you? It might, it, might be play, it might be playing on his mind. In my opinion, Pompey should be trying to re-up Harness and Jacobs at the moment, but they're obviously not going to. We'll see. We'll see. I think it would be a case of Harness will come back in the side when it's warranted. And I still think he's a quality player. So uh, hopefully his performances will improve again when he gets more of a chance.
0: Agreed. Can Dal's message in, he says, going to be a massive task to get back into the playoffs. All we can do is win our games. Have to pray that somehow... All the teams above us lose the next five, and we win our next five, and we'll be right back in the mix. League One is a streaky league, though, isn't it? You can see teams like Sunderland, for instance, looking like automatic promotion contenders. Suddenly they've dropped off the boil, and you know things have gone tits up there. There is the ability. Remember Oxford one season, they were sort of in the bottom half, I believe, right down the bottom until come up to Christmas, and then made a big charge and made it into the playoff. So... It is possible, isn't it, that you could we can put a run together? I'm just pretty. I just don't know if we've got the depth to do that because a couple more we're we're, we're a mile on Romeo and a Louis Thompson injury away from a really quite worrying side, aren't we?
1: Yeah, it, it would take a lot of uh, good luck now until the end of the season, uh, injury wise and just results wise. Uh, Pompey got a night. Well, you look at the table. Pompey got a nice set of games, a kind set of games in the next four playing Doncaster Don Rovers, Crew Alexander, Shrewsbury Town and Fleetwood Town. So that rather stretch, you think, oh, if Pompey win all those games, they, they could conceivably get 12 points and then they've won five, uh, five league games on the bounce and so you think, oh, you know, that, that form's creeping up a little bit. But simply, Pompey, I think, have to take it game by game and try and not lose any more games, try and get some results and hopefully there aren't any more injuries. Arguably, this is the worst Injury-hit season that Pompey have had, and it's quite frustrating that that's the time when the board are basically relying on loan signings and free agents mostly, where the squad depth isn't as good as it has been in some other seasons. And even then, we didn't think it was that good in the first place.
0: JD Hawke's pushes in. He says, "Crack suggests a certain depth. It's wafer thin." Well, I did word that question, I suppose, and I I take your take your uh, take that on the on the head. I think that's fair enough. It is it is wafer thin. As I just said now about the last few players, if we lose a couple more players, we really are in trouble. I know Cowley said he might look at the the free transfer
1: market. I thought the cl- I thought I saw somewhere the club said they weren't going to look into the free agent market.
0: I thought that was before, and then he came back and said he might have to. But oh right,
1: <laughs> well, well we don't know, we don't know. Well, they recalled Harvey Jewett Durant- White. I don't. I'm not sure if Pompey recalled Jamie Mingy.
0: I think he's been recalled, isn't he?
1: As he? Okay, that's another option. At least uh, the Maidenhead reporter thought he would. 40- he seemed like a very good player in defence and midfield, but that's conference football. It's not necessarily um, a, complete, a, a complete crossover, is it?
0: No, exactly. Well, we'll see what happens there. Uh, Solomon He says, squad isn't the primary issue. It's the actual team. Left-back and centre-forward are very worrying. Also, ridiculous not starting harness ahead of Walker or Hurst. Ooh, I, I actually do agree to a certain level. I actually think it would be good to play. You want to fit your best players into this team at the moment. I don't see why you couldn't play two of them in behind one of the strikers, especially since they're not at the moment for me, really providing the level of output you want. However, if you sign Walker on on loan, who probably is the player with the highest ceiling, I'd say, out of the attackers, just based on history, goal scoring record, ability, etc. Can you play him up front on his own? Is he a bit of a penalty box striker? Is he going to be able to bring players into the game? And if not, you're sort of then just playing Hurst up top, benching Walker... And then I, d- I don't know if that works for the team either.
1: I think it would depend on the opposition. I think Doncaster, Doncaster Rovers, even though they're a physical side, it might be the sort of game to play Walker up front on his own because he might get a lot of space defensively. Left, back, uh, left wing back was a spot mentioned. Uh, I thought Denver Hume's... I think Denver Hume's been okay. He's been a solid six and a half, seven out of 10 performer. His delivery's been good sometimes. He had some pretty high amount of progressive runs in the last Burton game. He 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 seems to get a lot of joy on that side when he was allowed to go a bit forward. Sometimes looks a bit clueless, but then again he hasn't he, he's not like used to the way that Ports would play just yet. So that might be a reason. He's been solid enough but yeah there's no depth behind him. You've got Rico Hackett who do, who fills in admirably in that position, I think, and plays fairly well. But then after that you've got nothing again. So yeah the, it, it all comes back to the same issue, doesn't it?
0: George Any State It's it is not for me. It's good that we got all the big boys out the way in January and February. Should be seeing a lot of wins now, which is good. But my God, them two games in hand are unbelievably important. If we don't win them, it's game over. Oh, and I'm still eyesing us out. George has just touched on the fact that we've got some of those difficult games out the way. Yes, we haven't picked up that many points. But I think statistically this season, Freddie, we've actually done very well against teams in the lower half of the table and then read into that what you think but we're it, 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 it
1: at what? just like a Kenny Jacket side <laughs> because that's basically so it basically did the same thing they were comfortable against teams lower in the division but when they played anybody with aspirations of promotion uh, it, it kicked them in the teeth <laughs> so it's, it's a shame that that trend hasn't hasn't changed
0: no uh, we will keep some of that stuff around so we can remember Kenny Jacket by Freddie really and I heard he's doing a great job at Leighton Orient their fans seem really happy with him at the moment so hate to say I told you so and all that all that malarkey. John English messes in and he said, I know it's been said before, but it still bothers me that Pompey couldn't attract Piggott, Fraser and or Thompson. Although I'm happy with the most players coming in, it's still paper over the cracks. Pompey has a lot of work to do as we can't keep hoping for next season every time. It's true, isn't it? We're always one year away from being one year away from competing. I think that is one of the things that Pompey fans are a little bit frustrated with, with, the, with the process.
1: Yeah, it, it's too long. Um, I mean, I mean, yeah, next season, record sixth season at third tier. I said that last week and that is draining. Um, you've got our fans of other, you know, traditional traditional clubs like Sunderland who are also getting frustrated with the fact that they've been in League One for so long and you had fans of similar clubs down the years that did the same thing, Sheffield United, Leeds United. It's. It, it, the, I'm sorry, the longer you stay in the division... The less competitive you are, unless you invest more in the team, it's just how it is. And we know now that with all the Premier League parachute money going into the Championship, the Division is getting harder and harder and harder every single season. As more money comes in, and it's not gonna, it's not gonna end. It's, it's not the bubble. I'm sorry, the bubble's not gonna burst. You'll have the odd club where a chairman like Mel Morris from Derby County throws all his money into a cliff but there will always be another football club and another chairman who will stump it up and make that risk which yeah I don't want Pompey to risk things I think they should operate at a break-even level but come on you, 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 the, 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 we know that the squad depth's not there and that's always been frustrating and there's still arguments about the infrastructure still um, for years which is not, which are not going to go away until everything's built
0: yeah, I do agree. You need to invest a little bit more in the squad, let's be honest. We've been through this last week, so we'll try not to dwell on it too much. All right, let's move on to the interview we've got with Adam. We spoke to Adam from the Into the Empty Net site, Doncaster Doncaster Sports site. that cover everything about Donny. We had a good chat with him about expectations at the start of the season. He's touched on Ben Close, the players, the system, new players that came in, a signing that I particularly like that they got. Um, but let's not let's not talk about it too much now. Let's get into the interview here with Adam from the Into the Empty Net. All right, I'm here with Adam from the Into the Empty Net podcast. And Adam, that's coming on the show. Yeah, good to be here. Yeah, no, thanks for coming on. I think it's fair to say it's been quite a difficult season for Doncaster. I think a lot of fans around the league had quite higher expectations for you as a club, obviously being quite competitive with Pompey up and around the playoffs usually. But just to to start off from the start then, did Donny's fans see this coming
2: or was it as much of a surprise for you as it was for us? I'm not sure we saw it coming really, although I suppose the way that the second half of last season went we maybe should have done. Um, You know, this has kind of been a year now of just abject misery and decline. It's really been a shame you know i think we've had we've had four managers in that time as well now and we're pretty much at the the year mark from where it all started going downhill at this point last year we were second in the table so to be you know bottom and and well adrift of safety now is it's it's quite hard it's been a it's been a very tough year yeah i don't think fans saw it being this bad uh, and i think when we, we got last season out of the way we got rid of a lot of players we changed the manager i think i think we thought we'd all be uh, we all thought we'd be back in the top half and, and competing again, but it's, it's just not gone that way at all, unfortunately. Richard Wellins is kind of known generally as being quite an attacking manager, wasn't
0: he? Free went kind of free passing and obviously brought Ben Close in, and we'll touch on that a bit later. He's sort of known for our uh, Pompey as more of a passing midfielder. Did he just try and play that sort of passing football and it didn't work? What happened with Wellins?
2: I did, we didn't really see a lot of, a lot of that. The Wellens ball that Swindon fans were were talking about, we never really saw any of that. I don't know if, how much of that were down to personnel availability and I don't really know. Um, we obviously we signed a lot of new players in the summer when when Richard came in. He, he signed, I think, 14 new players it needed doing. Uh, the squad was in, in need of a big overhaul. Um, he, he did that, but we've had a lot of injuries. So some of the key players that we, we wanted to have in the team from the start of the season have just not been there. A the combination of those injuries, because it has it has been about the worst injury crisis I've ever known us to have. Um, I think at any one time we've got seven or eight first team players out, which is obviously not what not what you need, especially with the squad depth at this level, not being brilliant. And I think combine that with some poor recruitment as well. Um, the recruitment in the summer just did not go to plan. I don't think it was very coherent in in putting together a balanced squad with quality in it. Um, and I think those two factors really set us off on a bad foot. And I think once uh, once you've set off struggling in that in those departments, it's very hard to turn it around. And as it proved for Richie, it proved impossible, to be honest, um, to turn it around. But I, I, we didn't see much of this uh, good football. Um, I've got to say that performances from most of Wellens's tenure were very disjointed, very confusing. It was just strained. We didn't really know what we were trying to do, what we p- positions, formations and style we were trying to play. It was very difficult to work out weeks a week. Certainly as someone trying to cover the club, it was very hard. And I think aside from... Maybe the odd 45 minutes here and there, you never really saw us have, have much intent or, or quality. And yeah, this Wellens ball that was talked up when he came in, was we never ever saw that.
1: Could you give um, Pompey fans some examples of the key injuries that Donny have had that have set the team back? And you also mentioned incoherent recruitment in the summer. Which players did Donny bring in that you were disappointed by?
2: Sure. I mean, injuries-wise, I think the, the the main players we've missed, John Taylor has missed, I think, the entire season, bar half a game. Uh, you know, one of our most senior players and a, a really tricky winger. Good player. We've not seen him all season. We've not seen um, Fijirio Kenabiri either. It, you know, our leading scorer last season. Uh, he came into pre-season with a foot injury and it's just spiralled from there. I don't, I don't really know what's happened with him, but I don't think he's really going to play this season now at all. Um, so to be missing your chief goal scorer and one of your best creative wingers, is big. Um we've not been able to get John Bostock on the pitch with any consistency, you know, as a, a playmaking centre midfielder that really is integral to how both of our managers this season have wanted to play. We've we've barely seen him as well. I think he has a, a run of four or five games every now and then and then he's out again. I think he had surgery recently. So he's another one that I don't expect. We'll see for a while. That those three were all here last season. Um in terms of new players, I think it's, it's if not so much the quality of the individual players. I think it was just the recruitment in certain areas wasn't strong enough. Um, we signed we signed three central midfield players who were all quite technical, including Ben Close from Portsmouth. Um, all very similar players: Close, Ethan Galbraith, and Matt Smith. Very technical players. Very um, you know they like to get on the ball and play in in the opposition half, but going going you know off the ball and defensively not so great. And when you've not got someone like Bostock to protect them and allow them to do their work on the ball, kind of a recipe for disaster. So signing three players of that mould and and not signing someone who's a bit more physical in, in that area um, was a big problem. We didn't really do a very good job with the goalkeeper, in my opinion, in the summer. Um, we signed a young lone goalkeeper, Pontus Dahlberg, who's, who's now since gone back and gone to Gillingham. Um, so we had him alongside our own academy goalkeeper, Louis Jones, two very inexperienced players, who've not had a lot of senior game time. And and the big, big problem in the summer was was the striker. Once we knew that Okenabiri was out for a while, I mean, I don't think we thought it'd be six odd months, but when we knew he'd be out for a while, um, we looked into the market because we only really had Omar Bogle, again, another player who's not here anymore and not a player who was ever going to perform, I don't think, consistently as a goal scorer. Missing out on Aidan O'Brien on deadline day, I think he was our fifth choice option on that day, but we got a deal agreed with Sunderland for him and then some paperwork went wrong somewhere and we didn't sign anybody. Um, so no striker, no experienced goalkeeper and no physical midfielder. And that's your spine of your team, really. Just not there. It were a bit of a shambles, unfortunately. And I think a lot of the fans pointed to that as the season got going and we were losing games. I mean, I think it was certainly a big factor.
1: Mm-hmm. You mentioned um, the bits that were missing. I mean, you mentioned some players out in January, the full list. Potters-Dolberg gone, who played in the 0-0 draw against Bortsmouth, Tiago Chacour, Rodrigo Vilker, Omar Bogle and Ed Williams. Some players were brought in, uh, some recognisable in, in names in there. Adam Clayton, who played for Middlesbrough, Kieran Agard, striker from Plymouth, Rio Griffiths, Jonathan Mitchell from Hartlepool, uh, mid-20s goalkeeper, and a few other youngsters, including Mipo Odubeko, although from West Ham. Do any of... Uh, do, any of the signings so far in January, think where what, what you think it, it bolsters the squad a bit and it gives it some hope, or is it or has not enough been done?
2: Yeah, I, I, my opinion is that we did do what we needed to in January, at least to give us a chance of competing in games and winning a few more games. We made eight signings. Um, I do. I mean, it's early to tell, obviously, into, in second week of February, but I do think we've improved the players in terms of quality in, in the positions that we've changed players. I mean, the, the players that you listed there that have gone out in January, I mean, they were just a litany of, of poor players. I mean, I don't think Bogle's a terrible player, but he just never did it consistently for us, never really scored goals. Um, Thiago Chucker and, and Rodrigo Vilca sadly, were two very, very big missteps by... Um, the recruitment team in the summer, brought them both in on loan and they were just nowhere near ready, not ready to play in League One. Even though he did get a lot of game time up front, he just did nothing. He was not physically up to it. He did not seem to have the technical ability. He didn't have the pace. Um, For a a Turkey Under-21 international to to look that far off it in, in League One was pretty alarming. In terms of the signings that we've made in January, I think one that you didn't mention has probably been the best so far and that's Josh Martin. Um, signed him on loan from Norwich he couldn't really get in the Milton Keynes team when he was on loan there I'm not really sure why but he looks like a really good creative player um, can play either at number 10 or on wing he, I think he's got three assists in four games since he signed and I don't know if you saw the highlights from the Sunderland game on Saturday but his, his ball through to Rio Griffiths for the opening goal was absolutely brilliant um, perfectly timed, perfectly weighted he, he really has really good vision uh, really good technical ability and he can he can really cause problems for defenders so I've been impressed with him so far Griffiths as well looks like, hopefully, the kind of striker that we can rely on a bit more to play 90 minutes. And and he looks like a proper player. I mean, he's come from Leon and and we're in Tottenham's academy before that. So there's quite a lot of expectation on him. Uh, I'm glad that he's um, got an early goal to hopefully get him going off the mark. They've been the big two for me, I think, so far. Some of those new players we've not seen much of yet, but I think we signed a lot of players who aren't maybe match fit or haven't been playing very often. So uh, I suppose it'll be a while before we see the likes of Adam Clayton and, and Kieran Agard really making a difference, but they've signed permanent contracts. So hopefully by the summer and next season, there'll be regular fixes in the team. You
0: spoke about Josh Martin then, who's a player that me and Freddie highlighted actually last season, I believe from Norwich after talking to the guys from the Long Con Lodge podcast um, shout out to those guys. They were over at Norwich. He's a very good player, really exciting player to watch. I know Norwich actually at the time were talking about him going out potentially to, you know, another championship, a championship side and, and thought he should be getting those sort of minutes. Um have you seen his shooting ability? Because he's a player I've seen who, who can take shots as well and score from any position. Is, is he sort of linking up that attack for you then as well? you said he's got the three assists, but
2: is it is it that dynamic player maybe that you guys have been missing in the yeah time? Yeah, I think he is. Um, I'm hoping so, you know, as the season goes on. We've not seen him, I've not seen him too much in like attacking areas in terms of getting shots off and stuff. He's he started taking our free kicks and corners now and he's he's clearly got ability from dead ball. I've seen a bit of his footage from when he has been in the Norwich team a little bit last season and, and he, he looks like someone who can really handle himself at a good level. I think to get him on loan was a good coup for us considering our league position and, and I think he's someone who hopefully will be able to knit things together in the attacking field. We've just not had any creativity in the team at all? A big one. Ben Close has, has been out for a long time. I'm trying to think now. Gal, Galbraith as well. He's been in and out of the team due to injury. We've not had a consistent creative spark in the team and I think combining Martin's technical ability and his, his vision with hopefully some better strikers now like Agard and, and Griffiths, hopefully, then I hope we'll see the best of him. He's, he's, he's certainly been a bit of a fulcrum, a bit of a focal point for us uh, in this last couple of games as Martin and I think he's a big reason why we got that win at Sunderland and I think he's... Uh, Someone who hopefully will will lead us to a lot more points as the season he, wears on. He very much reminds you of someone like Brennan Johnson or someone like that as a player.
0: Uh, people who don't know uh, Martin at all. But you mentioned earlier on actually talking about uh, missing out on Aidan O'Brien on deadline day, who's played the Pompey signed on deadline day as well. You said he was your fifth choice. I'd be interested to hear who you think was in, in front of him on your on your target list of uh, of strikers. Who 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 was in front of him then if he was your fifth choice?
2: Yeah. So our main target was Will Grigg for. Two or three weeks uh, from Rotherham, I think we'd agreed a deal for him. We'd actually agreed a contract with Grig as well, but um, I think either his agent or the club, I'm not sure which, were kind of holding on till deadline day and see if maybe a better offer came along. I mean, it ultimately did from Rotherham. I'm sorry, actually, we're at Sunderland. I think I said Rotherham then. Um, you know, we went to Rotherham in the end. Rotherham were up at the top. Obviously, by end of August, we were already near the bottom and not won a game, I don't think. So, understandable decision from him. He was, Grigg was the kind of signing I was expecting us to bring in under Wellens, you know, playing off the uh, last line and and getting in and around the penalty area. We never got that player in the end. Kyle Joseph was also ahead of him, I think, on on the list. He went to Cheltenham in the end. And Tom Eaves, who I think stayed at Hull, he was also ahead of O'Brien. But I mean, just from listing those four players, that's four very different type of strikers. So I'm not really sure what we were really aiming at in that window Grig made a lot of sense to me, but I don't know if maybe we we put all our eggs in that basket and then after that we were scrambling around for who was available. We eventually signed Joe Dodu after the window closed as a free agent and he's he's not a striker, to be honest. I feel a bit sorry for him because he is our top scorer, but he's him and Geordie Huwula have, have kind of been getting a lot of stick. But to be honest, they've been the best that we've had um, to play up front until recently. So I, I don't really put a lot of blame on him. I think that there's... There's been issues with recruitment and with a lot of the off field stuff, I think, just in terms of our football strategy and our planning. So, and I think that old failed pursuit for a striker in August proves it, but hopefully they've learned the lesson because we did go out and get some more sensible signings done in January.
1: Donny, Donny's form in the last 10 games um, includes three wins, seven defeats, if I'm right, but big wins against Sunderland and MK Dons. That pointed, that, that stuck out for me fairly well. In those games, how did Donny manage to scrape over the line against higher-quality opposition?
2: Yeah, I think against Milton Keynes, it was a case of um, ride your luck, backs to the wall. I think we got dominated, really, like we do in most games in terms of possessioning chances. But our defence stood up. Um, it was Ollie Younger's debut. We just signed him at uh, centre-half from Sunderland. He had a great game. Uh, got a knock to the head. But he he were fantastic in that game. So was the goalkeeper, um, Louis Jones, that day, although he's he's since lost his place, unfortunately, in the team. Um, I think we were a bit lucky to beat MK Dons, but we've done double over them somehow. Um, Accounts for two of our six wins this season in the league. And Sunderland on Saturday, I think it was just a much better all-round performance. We had a bit more quality in the team. Um, You know, got Martin now, got Griffiths. Younger had another good game. And Tommy Rowe and Matt Smith were really, really good in midfield. But we also changed the shape uh, against Sunderland. We played... um, three at the back at times, and then five at the back later on, two up front. So I don't know if maybe the change of shape made a difference. I think we frustrated Sunderland really good goals from Griffiths and Rowe, whereas Sunderland didn't take theirs and and in the end didn't really make enough, I don't think, in the game. But I'd say we deserve the win at Sunderland, but it's it's the kind of game where you look at it and think, can we do that consistently and, and get the results against higher-placed teams? Probably not, as maybe was proven against Ipswich last night. But... um You know, It was a really good performance and I think we saw the impact of the new players because we had four or five in the team against Sunderland particularly and and most of them stepped up and did really well, including um, Griffiths and the goalkeeper Jonathan Mitchell, who who were both superb. You're
0: talking about consistency there though, and you only lost one nail to it, so it's not like they blew you out after getting a good result against Sunderland. With this new approach, you think you're eight points off safety, that's off memory, I should have had that in front of me do you think that it's on now I mean eight points is catchable is this a situation where you start picking up a couple of wins you know you you, you've lost one now only to Ipswich do you reckon you can start picking up some points have you got
2: teams in the fixture list that you you think you can get points against I think it's going to be tough I do I'll I'll not rule it out completely but I think the last two games have kind of shown where we're still going to be struggling Um, the Sunderland game was brilliant deserved to win but you know we went unchanged for the Ipswich game three days later and although the scoreline was only 1-0, we really did get dominated. I think the I think it were 22 shots to three. And I think we had about 28% possession. If I think that's that's from memory as well. I think that's about right. And that's been the case in a lot of games this season. But the, the, the only thing I will say for last night's game was that we did fight and we did compete a lot better. We just didn't have the quality or I don't think we had the energy. So the big thing for me is a lot of Saturday, Tuesday games rest at season. There's, we have still got a lot of good teams to play. Um, I think the likelihood of us putting together a string of wins good enough to pull us out of an eight-point deficit is going to be really tough. I think we've got a much better chance now. Um, I think the new, the new system that Gary McSheffrey's put in is, is better. I mean, again, as I said earlier, I don't really know what we were trying to do under Wellens, to be fair. But it looks like we've got a clearer game plan now. Um, these new signings that are going to hopefully become the focal point of the team, like Martin and Griffiths and Younger, um, I think will make a difference compared to what we were left with due to the injuries earlier in the season. We've got some really tough games coming up. I think this is kind of early in a, a run of games against teams like Ipswich, Portsmouth, um, Sheffield Wednesday. The week after that, I'm trying to think, we have still got Wigan as well to come. Um, it is going to be hard. If we can pick up, a, you know, the odd win against the top teams and try and turn this into a bit more positive performances and, and wins against lower place sides, then yeah, I don't, I don't think we're I don't think we're dead and buried. Which I would have said a month ago before we made some changes to the personnel, but. Um, it will be very, very tough from eight points back. I mean we've got worst goal difference in league, you know really poor home record and until recently a very poor away record. so no it's, it's not it's not the end of the world yet, but um, I, I do think it will be very tough and it might be the case that we improve enough to get close two three, four points, but maybe not not quite have that last last push just due to um, fitness levels experience.
1: <clears throat> How do you expect some game at Jeffrey to set up the Doncaster side mm-hmm. and exploit Pompey? Uh, at Frampton Park because Pompey have only only got their first league win in 2022 um, on on Tuesday against Burton. How do you think Donny will try and capitalize on what has overall been a bad stretch of form?
2: I think he'll try and focus on ourselves. I don't. I mean, not to say that we won't obviously do all of the due diligence on Portsmouth. I think that he's. He said recently, it was before the Sunderland game when we got, we got absolutely thrashed by Rotherham last week, he, he kind of came out and said, as a bit of an apology, he said, you know, it's going to be a lot of trial and error. There's going to be a lot of experimentation over the next few months because we're bedding in a lot of new players and he's obviously trying to get a philosophy bedded in with the squad. So I don't think we'll focus too much on Portsmouth in that regard. I think we'll set up with our own game plan. We certainly have done that in the last two away games and we've won them both against teams in the top four. So I would expect him to do that. I would say... It's going to be probably a fluid three and four at the back. I think he'll line up with um, three centre-halves, but knowing that we can switch to a back four, um, I don't know, I'm trying to think who'll play at wing-back, really. Probably Jackson, Ben Jackson on left. And then on the right, really depends if he wants Because Oli Younger did it against Sunderland, even though he's a centre-half, and he did a good job, to be fair. But um, Charlie Seaman's got a bit more of an engine and a bit more pace, so I, he might want to play him on the right. I think he'll probably go for either the three-five-two or, as I say, a bit of a, a fluid 4-3-3 that can switch into a two-man front, but I don't think he'll he'll worry too much about how Portsmouth's set up. He'll probably have game plans for certain players, most likely, but um, personally, this trial and error kind of period is, is probably going to be what we'll see from now on for overs, because I do think that McSheffrey and the players are recognising that while well, we want to give ourselves as good a chance as possible to get out of relegation, uh, we need to be set up in a way where if it doesn't happen, if we don't have quite enough, we need to at least go into next season with some momentum and, and a clear philosophy. Because I think the lack of clearly defined playing and style and, and strategy really has cost us this season. Um, and we don't want this to hang over into a third year. So I'd look for us to try and compete probably with physicality in certain areas, maybe not so much in centre midfield, but I think up, up front for us, and at the back, I think we'll we'll try and use physicality with guys like Younger, Roshan Williams uh, at one end and, and Griffiths at the other, most likely. Uh, that would be my expectation. And then hope to hope to have enough creativity in, in us with, with guys like Martin and Tommy Rowe if he's fit, because Rowe did go off injured against Ipswich. Um, it is all a bit of a muddle at the minute. It's a bit hard to say, but I think we're starting to see some clear ideas coming out of um, these last few weeks and these last few games. And I think he's trying to put a... A reliance on certain players to kind of lead from the front. You're making the journey down to to Fratton, Adam. I'm not, no, because uh, it's it's a much longer journey for me than it is most Donny fans. I live in Newcastle. It's ah. it's a long, long way, so I'm not coming down this this year. I've only been once to Fratton Park, and we won three two. So uh, I'll I'll hopefully we can we can get a win without me there. But I think that's one of only maybe two two or three wins we've managed in in, in the time I've been a a Rover supporter. So. I won't be down there, but I do like Fratton Park. It, um, when I went down, it was not long after you left the Premier League, so it, it had a feeling of a bit of a needs a bit of an update sort of thing, Fratton Park. But it felt like a good, a good old school football ground, and obviously it were a, it were a nice day when we did win. I think we were about ten, eleven years ago now, mind. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, no, we've um, I've only just uh, recovered from coming back from from
0: Newcastle. We all got bloody sick after going out on a massive weekend. Uh, Sunderland away, obviously, staying up there. Fred went to Newcastle, went to Union Newcastle. A bit off oh, the really? click. Mm-hmm. He's our resident mm-hmm.
2: guide when we go around
1: Newcastle. Oh, brilliant, mm-hmm.
2: brilliant. I, uh, I do, I do work for a university in Newcastle. I don't know if it's the one or the other because there's two here, but I, I do work for one of them.
1: Which one, <laughs> Newcastle Uni? I work for
2: I work for Northumbria, Northumbria. over the road. Oh, yeah. So.
1: Yeah, cool.
0: Anyway, enough about Freddie and your work history. Let's get on to the juicy bit here. And I want to know, Adam, your
2: score prediction for the game and the goal scorers, please, mate. OK, um, I'm going to say 1-1, one, one, which this is a massive, massive upswing for me. I went on um, I went on Graham Fork's Sunderland podcast last week and predicted a 7-0 defeat, which I got horrendously wrong, thankfully. But um, I'm going to say 1-1. One, one. I, I saw enough in that Sunderland game and maybe at least a little bit of fight in the Ipswich game to think that we've... Uh, got a chance. We seem to have clicked a bit away now. I think we're we're better away from home suddenly, which is bizarre to say. And the fact that we got a goalless draw against you earlier in the season when we were all over the shop gives me a bit of hope. Um, You know, you guys' form hasn't been brilliant. Goal scorers, uh, I'll say Rio Griffiths for us. I'm hoping he gets on a run of goals. We're going to need him to. I think he's going to be heavily relied upon. And I'm going to say Michael Jacobs, which might be a boring uh, option considering your current... Current, you know, he's currently coming back into prominence, and I'll say it as well because he was one of the players we nearly signed in January. It seems to have worked out for for you guys that he changed his mind on that one. I think we we had a contract on the table, and then he said, "Ah, I'll see how it goes for rest of January," and obviously it's worked out very well for him. Fair play. Um, I think we have probably ended up signing Martin instead. So I mean, maybe we're both both clubs are all right on that on that decision. But yeah, I, I have no doubt he'll probably score a, a a blinding goal as a result of that whole carry on. Yeah, no. I think
0: it's quite funny, really. I I really want Martin as well. I want want all of them. I want to keep Jacobs. You know, we've got the smallest squad in the league now, reportedly. And we've got some serious bad injuries. You know, Joe Morrell, our best centre midfielder, he's banned after a shocking decision against Oxford, which was never a red card. But, you know, the EFL don't like overturning those, so it is what it is. Williams, for us now, is out as well. Sean Williams is out in the centre. Michael Jacobs actually filled in at centre mid for us on Tuesday night. Um, not his natural position, but he basically well. just played in
1: a free-flowing role and just <laughs> yeah. did what he liked while um, Danny Kelly said to Louis Thompson, don't don't go beyond the final <laughs> third. Just, just stay and cover him. Don't it, get it, in his play. way. <laughs> exactly. Just let him do what he liked.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. All right. I think that's I think that's it Fred have you got any more questions Have we run through all your things you wanted to do
1: no that's everything yeah we, we now know fully about the uh, game that's going to happen on Saturday
0: I was going to say it's quite funny that you predicted um, that on Graham's podcast um, I know, we know Graham Rowe, a friend of the show um, been on, I was on his pod as well and yeah um, yeah, did it back back to Roca. I'm definitely giving some stick about that. I find that fucking hilarious.
2: <laughs> yeah, Well, I mean, all Sunderland fans were loving me until Saturday when we turned up and beat them. So um, you know, I, I never I'm not normally that pessimistic. I'm quite an optimistic fan, which is why I mm. kind of drove and I did I did make that prediction two days after we got turned over 5 0 at home by our local rivals. So, you know, I'm a bit of a reactive one in that on that front, but away from home, I'm not as worried about it as now for some strange reason. And and I was there on Saturday, obviously. It's kind of my local game, Sunderland. So um it's given me a lot more confidence and hopefully it's given the team more confidence because they they do need that I think Freddie also predicted us to um, was it you Freddie went on it uh, earlier
0: on in the season with Graham or did I do that one as well I think it was before the the um, the, the
1: one at Fratton Park I went on after the game
0: oh okay so before the game I did that one as well predicted us to lose because we were looking absolutely shocking and then obviously we've beaten four (laughs) now in the (laughs) torrential rain so we've got something in common there but Adam thanks for on the show mate
2: yeah uh, happy to be here and thanks for having us on
0: Yeah, much appreciated. And uh, good luck for the rest of the season after this game. And uh, maybe you can string some wins together
2: and get promoted. Well, Well, stay (laughs) up Yeah. Well, if only. I I don't (laughs) think promotion. Not even even mathematically possible. I don't think. Yeah, but hopefully we'll go on a miracle run and we'll see you next season,
1: maybe. Yeah, it's awesome (laughs) to have on, Adam. Uh, Where can people find your podcast and stuff for all things don't cost a rovers?
2: Yeah, so the website is um, intotheemptynet.com. Our Twitter is at drfc underscore iten. Um and, and that's basically it at the minute for us, yeah. Yeah, go and check that out, Bombi Fans, poor
0: game and see what they're saying. But Adam, thanks again, mate, and uh, we'll speak soon. Yeah. Cheers, buddy. Thanks, Adam, for on the podcast. That was a good chat, wasn't it, Fred, with Adam there? Donny seems to be a team that are slowly trying to turn it round a little bit.
1: Yeah, slowly. Um, obviously you mentioned a lot of players who are making an impact, Rio Griffiths and Josh Martin being the main two that I I caught up from there. Advanced stats-wise, they're still not that great. I mean, The the side's only scored 22 goals all season, which is rock bottom of the league. XG of 25.8, which is also rock bottom, so it's not as if there's a major difference there. And they conceded a lot of goals. Hopefully, those defensive lapses will allow Pompey's attacking players to have even more chances than normal to actually take a couple of them. But no, Gary McSheffrey seems to be doing a trial and error basis, where he's changing the formation a lot, changing the personnel, trying to get a setup that works, and not really fit it, not really focusing too much on the, how the opposition play. Which I think could be good for Porsa if It means that they can dictate the dictate the game, control control, control the midfield by passing out of the back, and hopefully um, providing enough chances for the attackers going forward.
0: Yeah, I really like Josh Martin as a player. I'm really quite jealous that we didn't go out and get him. Add that to the list of players, John, that Pompey should have signed in, in January that you're frustrated about because I really think he's a really good dynamic player. Obviously, we spoke about him before, as I already said. I, I think that's a cracking signing for them, the kind of player that would have helped us. But I suppose flair players, in some ways, we've got Tarnas, Jacobs, Curtis, etc. So maybe that's where Danny Kelly didn't think we needed to add anyone in that section, which I suppose I can understand when you look at depth we've got across the squad, they're going to be come, come against us and try and play quite compact, I think. When you look at the result, they only lost one now to Ipswich, obviously did that, did one over on Sunderland. They were leaking goals, weren't they? And not looking like they could score. So I, I'm a little bit more concerned than I would have been playing against them two, three weeks ago. However, I think Pompey should be able to get a win in this game and make it two wins in a row. I'm feeling fairly confident about how we go into it. Fred, have you got anyone you want to highlight we didn't speak about? Because it's quite a lengthy interview already we spoke about with Adam.
1: I think all the key players from Donny have been mentioned. Um, one key player who, who might not play is John Bostock. I think that will be massive if he doesn't play. Because uh, I went to the away game at the keep Moat, and John Bostock was Donny's best player on the pitch by quite a way. Defensively and technically sound. It was obvi- It's obvious that if he, it, it, the injuries are basically keeping him at league one level. I think if he had a clean injury record, he'd be a championship midfielder quite easily. So that's a big miss for Donny. And yeah, I think that's one of the major reasons why Pompey can actually control the midfield, even though even though if, even though Jacobs might end up playing there again, it, even though it's not his natural position.
0: Yeah. All right, Fred, let's, let's, let's finish this off now. Let's get into the score prediction time of the podcast. And I want to know your score prediction for the game on Saturday against Doncaster and the goal scorers, please,
1: Freddie. I think it'll be a Pompey win. I'm sorry, Pompey have to win these sorts of games. A relegation threat inside at home has to be done. Has to be three points. And they showed enough in the Burton game that there's enough passion and forthrightness from the players to make that happen. I'm going to go over 2-1 Pompey win. Michael Jacobs continue his goal-scoring prowess. And then I'm also going to give a goal to Connor Ogilvie from a corner because Jacobs just taking the corners and the delivery is much better.
0: like it. I'm going to go with a 3-1 Pompey win. I think we've got the ability to score some goals against Donny here. I think if we can get an early goal, they'll have to come out against us. We've got the ability then to potentially hit him quicker attack. I'm going to go with a goal from Michael Jacobs. Cause why can't you at the moment? The man is, is a goal machine An assist again. I'm going to go for a Hayden Carter header from a free kick. Let's mix it up rather than the corner. And then finally the third goal. I'm going to go with Curtis. He's got to get another one soon. Why not? Yeah. I think, I think he, he can get on a little run. And as I said with Curtis as well, he tends to score goals in bunches. So if he can take that, I thought he looked lively, even though he didn't get a goal in the other game. I, I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with Curtis, um, Carter and Jacobs and a consolation goal for Doncaster from my boy, Josh Martin.
1: Oh, uh, my pick for the Doncaster Don players to score, since I didn't mention it. Uh, if he starts, Jordi uh, Huola because at the moment, every single ex pompey player scores against us. And it was the same for and that had me for Burton, even though for Pompey, I didn't think he was any good. But obviously he's able to score against us because it's basically written in law now, isn't it?
0: Of course. The Norwich Higuain, as we were saying in the ground. Shout out, Ryan.
1: It's just not that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, so the mention of the pod. Right, Fred, it's been awesome having you on the podcast.
1: Always a pleasure, Hugh. And uh, thank you to the listeners again for... Um, Interacting with us as usual and making this pod possible. It's always very nice and it's always a highlight of my week. So yeah, um, we'll, we'll keep doing it as long as you are listen to it.
0: Exactly. And it's always nice to see your face for two days in a row, mate. But we'll be back down on Saturday at the ground. We'll be meeting up and guessing the same usual time at the brewery for a pint.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If anybody wants to see us for some reason, you, you can do it before the game. Say hi. It'll be nice.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right. And until next time,